So today we come to that, um, in, in a sense, that climactic part of the story. And as many of you know, um, we have been following what we've called the story of God through this Advent season. And we went all the way back to the very beginning. You know, sometimes, and I think, I think this is true for many people, um, people know the name Jesus, they hear a little bit about Jesus. Of course, Christmas means Christ Mass. But I don't know how many people really connect Christmas and, and Jesus with the, the bigger story of the universe. Sometimes it's almost like we just think of Jesus, this person just sort of dropped in and said a few things and did a few things, and some people believed in him. But when we step back and we, we begin to look at the, the bigger picture, we see that this is a story that goes all the way back to the beginning. And so that's where we started a few weeks back, starting with the story of God, beginning in the very first couple of chapters of the Bible, we saw the story of the creation of the universe, human beings being made in the image of God are the pinnacle of that creation. And when creation is completed, God's image bearers and covenant partners are with him ruling over the creation, commissioned to bring it to the fullness of its potential, and through doing so, to bring glory to God. And that, that's kind of the very beginning of the story. And we read there, at the end of the creation account, we read that God saw that everything that he had made was very, very good. But then, as we've seen, something goes radically wrong and the story begins to unravel. In Genesis 3, the man and the woman the humans that God made to live in fellowship with him, they break their covenant with their maker and they align themselves with the serpent who deceives them into believing that God is holding out on them. He deceives them into believing that there's some really good thing that God is keeping them back from. That there's a potential for them that God doesn't want them to arrive at. And so sadly, they embrace this lie. 
And in an act of rebellion against God's command, they take and they eat from this forbidden fruit. So there was a garden, there were um, trees in the garden. And there was only one tree that God said, don't eat from that tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of the other trees you can eat from, God says, but don't eat from that one. But then the, the serpent comes and says, oh, God doesn't want you to eat from that because he knows. He knows that when you do that, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want anybody to be like that. So he comes and he slanders. And in an act of rebellion against God's command, they take, they eat the forbidden fruit. And in doing this, they sever their connection with God and transfer themselves and the rest of creation over which they had been given dominion into the realm of death and darkness under the rule of the serpent who is Satan. So listen, this is the true story of the world. This is, this is when, when we at times look at the world we live in, and look at the, the chaos around us and look at the mess. And in some cases, obviously, we even look at our own life's experiences and wonder, whence this wreckage? Why is it like this? Th this is why it's like this. This is what has happened. And so as they, as they sever their connection with God, as they obey the serpent, the scripture tells us that they then hid themselves from God. The one who made them, the one who loved them, the one uh, with whom they formerly had this beautiful, intimate experience, the next thing you know, they're, they're hiding from him. In the book, The Drama of Scripture, which we've quoted from in this series already, the authors ask a question and make a powerful observation. And this is it. The question is, is the story of the world to end so soon and so sadly? I mean, is this it? It, it seems so short-lived and what, what a tragic Ending, if that's what it is, but they go on and say, by no means. Though Adam and Eve flee from God, he graciously takes the initiative to seek them out. And that brings us to the story being reclaimed. And of course, we've, we've, each week we've been walking through each one of these parts of the story. And so as God is pronouncing, remember God, God shows up on the scene after the serpent has deceived them, after they have um, disobeyed God, God shows up on the scene and he pronounces a judgment on them for their betrayal and their aligning themselves with the serpent. But then he speaks directly to the serpent. He declares to the serpent that the seed of the woman will one day crush the serpent's head. 
And as we pointed out, this is the very first promise of the gospel in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It is called, um, in theological terms, the proto-euangelion, meaning the first gospel. This is the first pronouncement from God of good news that the serpent's head would be crushed. And so God speaking to the serpent says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. I love this. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is such an amazing thing if you think about it. Let, let this kind of just you know, ruminate on this. God will redeem humanity. This is the message. God will redeem humanity and realign them with himself. And together, they shall destroy the serpent. So as we, as we look at this drama, I mean, look, you know, just think, think with me about this for a moment. So, you know, God creates the first people. They're in this loving, wonderful relationship. This, this deceitful being comes in, lies about God, and then woos them to himself. And as far as he is concerned, they are now his. And they are now in alignment with him. But when God shows up, God says, well, actually, no. That's not the way the story is going to go. That's not the way the story is going to end. They will not be forever aligned with you because I am going to redeem them back to myself. And then we together are going to destroy you. Wow. God and humanity covenant together to destroy Satan. And that's what that prophecy was foretelling. The seed of the woman, another human being, will crush your head. You thought you had forever aligned them with yourself? No, you're wrong. And so now this is the beginning of the reclaiming of the story. And so as we follow the story, as we saw last week, as Pastor Richard walked us through that history, really briefly we see that um, this, this endeavor to reclaim it, the promise is given to Adam, but then it is passed down through his son, Seth. And then it is passed from Seth on to Noah. And from Noah to his son Shem. And from Shem to Abraham. And Abraham to Isaac. And Isaac to Israel. And Israel to his son Judah. And then from Judah, 
the promise is carried on through a man named David. David, who becomes the great king of the nation of Israel. And he is the one that God gives the, the very specific promise to that one of his descendants will be the one who will be the serpent crusher, will be the one to ultimately restore everything. And so the Lord declares to him in 2 Samuel 7, 10 through 14, the Lord declares to you, the prophet says, that he himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your seed to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And so in this reclaiming of the story of God, David is the one that is singled out, the descendant of Judah, the son of Jacob or Israel, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. David is singled out, and now the promise is that his descendant, his seed, would be the one to whom the kingdom would be given. And then we have that period of time during the history of the nation, which includes Moses and the law of Moses, but, but also the prophets. We have during the time of the prophets, the prophets are on occasion given uh, vision for how and when and where all of this is going to culminate. And so two contemporary prophets, Isaiah and Micah, living approximately 700 plus years before the actual birth of Jesus. They speak prophetically. Isaiah says, therefore the Lord himself, speaking to the house of Judah, he will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So here again, the promise is being reiterated. Here again, God is reminding them throughout this long period of, of waiting for the fullness of the reclamation, God gives them these little glimpses. And so the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And this, of course, is the basis for the Christmas hymn that we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. 
And then remember, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. So all of this is drawing from that prophetic word. But then there was living at the same time as Isaiah, another prophet named Micah. And Micah prophesied about the place of the birth of this son of David, this one to whom the kingdom would be given. And he said, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, even from eternity. born in Bethlehem, but coming forth from eternity. And so again, we have that beautiful Christmas song with my favorite line in it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by, but in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. It's for some reason that always just grips me. In thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And indeed, that was the case. The fulfillment now there in Bethlehem. And so let me read to us Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what, if, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here is the story being fulfilled. This, this is that moment this is the moment all history has been moving toward up until that point. Everything that happened in the past from that moment in the garden when God pronounced that he would realign humanity with himself and crush the head of the serpent, everything was moving toward this moment when the virgin gives birth to a son who is to be named Jesus. 
Why is he named Jesus? He's named Jesus because Jesus means Yahweh is Savior. Jesus is the, um, the anglicized from the Greek, Jesus, but the, of course, the Hebrew would be Yeshua, or we would say Joshua. But that name means Yahweh is salvation. So give birth to a son, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin and he will be called Emmanuel. Ultimately, he will be recognized universally as God with us. And so the incarnation is what we are remembering today. This is what we're celebrating today. The incarnation, that, that point in history when God takes upon himself humanity. When he takes upon himself a human body. But the incarnation was the first step toward the crucifixion. So we can't, we can't disconnect the two, even though in our um, calendar we do, of course. We celebrate Christmas now, and then a few months from now we will celebrate Easter. But of course, Christmas was the foundation for Good Friday and Easter. The only way for which God to die and give himself as a sacrifice was to take upon himself a human body. And so the creation will lead to the resurrection, which will ultimately bring about new creation. So let's just look at the, the larger picture of what the Bible says about Jesus who comes into this world in Bethlehem at this particular time. So what does what the, the bigger picture of Scripture say? Well, number one, it says that in Jesus, the whole of creation has a new beginning. You see, that's what's, that's what's happening here. Now, of course, for us, there is a personal aspect to this, and we'll look at that. But we can't lose sight of the fact that even though the personal aspect is vital, this is bigger than just me and you and us. This is a universal thing that we're talking about. That Jesus is literally the new beginning of the new creation. Now, have you ever stopped to think about how radical it is that time is calculated? Time is calculated by the coming of Jesus into the world. You know, isn't it so crazy and so ironic that, you know, most people go around and again, like I said initially, they might hear the name of Jesus. They might know a little bit. They might know a Christian, of course, see a church, maybe been to a church and all that. And, oh yeah, Jesus, he, some, you know, some vague nebulous 
concept of who he claimed to be or whatever. But all the while, in the midst of that, we say today is December 24th, 2023. 2023, what does that mean? That is the date from, guess what? The birth of Jesus. And the whole world, there are pockets of people, of course, who resist that, but the reality is the whole world lives under this system by which we calculate time from BC, before Christ, or AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Now, secular people don't like that, so they said, we don't want to call it that. We want to, we'll call it CE and BCE. CE, the common era, BCE, before the common era. But they're not stopping to think that <laughs> the flashpoint is still <laughs> this person. The common era is the era after this person. So, but this is what scripture says, that he is the new beginning. Secondly, he is the new Adam. He is the new Adam, which means he is the beginning of a new humanity. Just as Adam was the first human and the head as the first human, Adam is the head of the human family. So Christ is the first fruits and the head of a new humanity. That's what's happening. God is bringing about a new humanity through Christ. And Wesley's hymn says this beautifully. We sang part of it this morning, but we didn't include this particular stanza. But listen to this from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There is a stanza that says this, come desire of nations come, fix in us thy humble home, rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head, Adam's likeness now efface, stamp Thine image in its place. Final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I mean, is, isn't that, that, it's just so beautifully picturing this. And so he is the new Adam. He is also the new and the true Israel. So notice the, the pattern here. We have the beginning. He is the new beginning. We have the first person, Adam. He is the new Adam. And then we have Israel. And now he is the new and the true Israel, the faithful and well-pleasing son to lead a new covenant community through a second exodus. Remember, the children of Israel made their exodus from Egypt, led by Moses. But now here, the true Israel, a second exodus out of bondage to sin into the promised land of life in the spirit and to inaugurate a new covenant with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
where the original was with a singular people, the Israelites. Now, as the new Israel, as the true Israel, bringing all people into the covenant. And that brings us, fourthly, to the new creation. The new creation. He is the beginning of the new creation. We read in the book of Revelation, the Lord speaking, he said, Behold, I am making everything new. And then he says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That great and familiar Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts. Interestingly, if you listen closely, interestingly, that that great Christmas hymn never references the birth of Christ. Have you ever noticed that? You will in a moment when I read the words to you, but... But it never references the birth of Christ. But what it does is it projects us out to the end goal of his birth. So it really is a wonderful Christmas song. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Listen, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. It's talking about all of creation now. The new creation joining together harmoniously with men and women. As they sing their songs of praise, he comes to make his blessings flow or no more let sin and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world in truth and grace. This is where it's all headed. He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. So you see, the, the new creation, the foundation for the new creation was there in that manger in Bethlehem. Now the original creation, as we've seen walking through the story, the original creation began with the heavens and the earth. The very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we follow through the various uh, aspects of creation, the various days of creation. And we come to the climactic moment on the sixth day when God creates human beings in his image and likeness. So in the first creation, it's the universe is created and formed. And then man is sort of the capstone. Interestingly, though, the new creation begins with the other order, with the reversed order. The new creation begins with people and will culminate with the universe. But it begins 
with human beings. And so the Apostle Paul writes these words to the Corinthians. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. You see, what, this is, this is the, the message of Christmas is that God is bringing about a new creation and he's starting with people. And this is what Jesus comes to bring us. He comes to bring us a new life, a new beginning. All of this is possible because of the incarnation, because the word who made all things becomes flesh and he takes up his residence among us. And again, Charles Wesley put it so beautifully and we did sing these words but I can't help but quote them. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. And now listen to this. Mild he lay his glory by. You ever wonder like, oh, what, what did mild he lay his glory by? Well, just the very idea of God laying his glory aside. Unless that was mildly done the whole universe would probably have just evaporated. So it's talking about his condescending, his, the, the gentle way that he went about doing what had to be done. Mild, <coughs> mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them Second birth, a new beginning. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a new beginning, starting with you, starting with me, and ultimately going out to all of the universe. Amazing. And so, once again, as I mentioned earlier, the little town of Bethlehem, In thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 2,000 years ago or approximately 2,000 years ago. God's answer to the world's brokenness, sin, sorrow, and pain was given. So the hopes, all of the hopes, all of the aspirations, all of the longings that still remain in human beings, even though we're fallen creatures, even though we're marred by sin, yet the purpose for which we were created in every one of us, it, it still resides there. The hopes. And those hopes are all met through Jesus. He is the one who brings us into all that God intends for us to be. But all the fears as well, all the 
worries and the anxieties and all the possibilities that cause us to be concerned or fearful or whatever the case. The, the, again, the answer is in Jesus. He answers those things. He is the answer to all of our fears. And as we look again at the world we live in, it's a fearful place. There's much to fear. What is the answer to these frightful things? Jesus is the answer. And that begins with you and with me. It begins with us receiving that gift that God gave. For as many as would receive him. You know, you think of Christmas, of course, as a time of giving and receiving. And that's exactly what it should be. Because that's exactly how it all began. God gave and we receive. And as we receive, as many as received him, to them he gives the power to become the children of God. To have this new beginning. To be part of this new creation. And it all starts right here with us. And so for that, we are forever thankful.